Hello, friends, and welcome to the Coffee and Deer podcast. I'm your host, Nick Penizzato, here as always with the doctor. Hopefully you are maybe sitting in a vehicle right now with some hot coffee. Maybe you're between hunts because it's the rut. We are into November now, so it is go time. This is probably our favorite show to do, although I feel like I say that about a lot of the shows. that We enjoy doing all of them, but hey, who doesn't get excited about the rut and talking about the rut? Deer are on their feet. It's just an exciting time. And uh, to celebrate, we're bringing on Kip Adams, our chief conservation officer here at the NDA. Uh, we should have had Kip on earlier, but the reality is he gets asked to be on so many shows that I purposely don't bother him <laughs> because he's doing everybody else's shows. And people are like, hey, well, you work together. You should have Kip on. Well, well yeah, but I also recognize that Kip can't be doing podcasts all the time. Uh, but he's a popular guy, and I did ask him to come on here for our rut hunting special, which we're going to do today. And we're going to be talking rut hunting tactics and uh, how some of those tactics stand up to science. So maybe your game plan you've been using doesn't have any scientific merit at all. doesn't mean it doesn't work. Uh, so we're going to go through some of those things with uh, with Kip. And we also have some mid-season hunting stories we'll share with you, the doctor and I, as well as this is an Ask NDA Anything episode and of course the b team report joining us now is the king of deer movement analytics i just made that up mike by the way sounds good it sounds impressive the doctor mr mike groman mike oh, i gotta believe you're excited i thought you were gonna introduce kip <laughs> i thought no, you were that's... gonna say you know you know kip adams <laughs> so i'm sitting here kind of just not daydreaming but <laughs> not expecting that uh, kip um, i do think by the way i do think kip likes numbers too and he's kind of into the the analytics of deer movement a little bit um but uh, not maybe not to your level though so no, i don't i think uh i think kip has has me there but hello welcome yeah <laughs> you kind of totally threw me off my I game the, i love it <laughs> i love it so hey our show sponsor today mike speaking of being on or off your game moultrie mobile and if you uh, if you're one of the people that aren't using trail cameras these days i'd actually have an appreciation for you because that's old school and it still works it's still just being a good woodsman but i gotta tell you i like that i really like trail cameras for a lot of reasons not just because they help you hunt and uh, moultrie mobile has been a longtime supporter of the national deer association i've got a bunch of them and this time of year as you might imagine i'm relying pretty heavily on trail camera data uh, I love getting the notifications. Uh, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If my phone uh, dings, I'm looking at it to see if it's a notification from a trail camera picture. So, um, hey, Moultrie Mobile has some of the most affordable cellular trail cameras, by the way. They also have flexible payment plans uh, to suit your needs. I know the plan I'm running is, I think it comes up ends up being less than $10 a month uh, per camera, which is, I think, a pretty sweet deal. And also, something I should use more that I don't is they have a really good app where you can literally tag deer and you can follow deer and get, um, uh, this would be up your alley doctor. You can get charts and graphs about specific deer, where they're moving and what cameras they're walking in front of, which is really cool. I uh, should be using that more than I do. And their, their latest model, the Moultrie edge has been very popular. You don't even need an SD card for these things uh, are very popular. And I know you have one of those doctor. Uh, how's it working for you? I actually have two and i i do like it it's very user-friendly simple and uh as, as you said uh 
I am really just starting to dip my toe into the app, which, you know, definitely intrigues me. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Moultrie Mobile is the show sponsor today. Another promotion we're doing right now, and this was really popular last year, and I think it's off to a great start this year. This is a special uh, membership deal that we're running with First Light, our partners in the camo world. And so with this, for 100 bucks, you get an NDA membership, uh, an ND, excuse me, an NDA hat in First Light. So that's a special hat. We don't sell those anywhere. That's That's a special offer. You also get a year of NDA membership, and you also get a $25 gift card for First Light to go on and buy yourself something from their line of apparel uh, or accessories. And so basically right off the bat, because that hat's worth 25 bucks, you're getting 50 of that 100 right off the bat uh, before you even get your membership. And that was very popular last year. We're going to run that until just while supplies last. It really is limited quantities. So if you haven't taken advantage of that, uh, go ahead and do it. If you say, well, you know what? I'm already a member. I wish I'd have known about this last year. If you go ahead and take advantage of it, we will add another year of uh, membership to your to your membership uh, time. So there you go. No excuses. You can get your First Light hat and wear it too. All right, First Light membership promo. Hey, this is an Ask NDA Anything episode as well. And we have two questions. And we're going to do this a little differently today, Mike. I'm going to explain the questions here. I'm going to read the questions. But we're going to answer them during the interview with Kip. And here are the questions. Uh, this first one is from Tim. He's 16 years old. He's from Indiana. And he said, I got a buck decoy for my birthday and want to know when I should start using it. So congratulations to you, Tim. Whoever got you that gift, uh, got you a, a, a gift that keeps on giving. And so we'll answer that question in a bit. And also Alan from Rhode Island wants to know what are our go-to snacks for all day sits during the rut? And so, Doctor, you and I have shared a tree on all-day sits before and have uh, had our lunch in the tree together. And so we'll each have our favorites that we'll have to, to give for that. So, yeah, I like it. Those are two good questions, and they're rut-based. So we're going to just go ahead and take them right into the interview. Ready to talk about the rut, Mike? I am. Let's do but it. We're going to talk about with Kip, <laughs> just so that we're clear. What's that? I said we're gonna be talking about it with Kip, just so that we're clear. Yeah, yeah, we we don't want it to we're just, introducing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't want it to be just us, right? So yeah, Kip's gonna come on. He's gonna tell us about the rut. Hopefully, we learn something, and uh, it can make us a little bit better here as we head into the Super Bowl of deer hunting, which is now. All right, before we mess this up any further, let's bring Kip into the show. Adams, Chief Conservation Officer of the National Deer Association, my friend and colleague, also joins the show, finally getting Kip on here. He's the longest tenured NDA employee, and he also is easily, he may blush when I say this, but he's easily our most popular guy. Uh, you see him probably more than anybody, and then Lindsey Thomas, Brian Grossman, you probably see those three guys the most in the organization, so they're our, they're our front people, really and do a great job of it. Kip leads all of our conservation initiatives here at NDA. He's also a certified wildlife biologist in Kip. I'm gonna have you tell us about the Kip Adams that's not always on duty at NDA. So what's Kip doing in the meantime? Uh, well, normally this time of the year, Kip would be hunting. 
<laughs> but when <laughs> Kip's boss says, "Hey, let's uh, let's get together," uh, obviously I'm here. Um, yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate to have been working with uh, with NDA for as long as I have now. You know, it's been a dream job, uh, and I tell my kids all the time, you know, because they'll say mention, you know, like how much I enjoy work or I do this or that. I say, you know what, I picked well. You know, you can pick well too. You know, I I was passionate about this. Uh, I worked hard, and you know, I got a little bit lucky to land the job that I did. And but then I worked hard to keep it. So uh, I've I've been a biologist a long time. But but I often tell folks, you know, I'm first and foremost a deer hunter. And, uh, you know, I love learning about deer. I love enhancing habitat for deer and, and teaching that to others. So I'm so thrilled that both of my kids like to go to the woods with me and they are both avid hunters. So, um, yeah, I, I enjoy what I do. I, I like saying, you know, that I'm a, a deer biologist, but uh, I'm, I'm a hunter first and foremost. And, and I think that makes me a better biologist, you know, because I come at it from that angle and just understand it from, you know, the, the non-scientific end as well. So, um, that's kind of me spent a lot of days, uh, hunting in the fall and a lot of days, uh, enhancing, uh, my hunting opportunities during the rest of the year and, and helping others do that. So, um, I enjoy that a lot and, uh, consider myself very privileged to get to do so. All right. Kip also, by the way, he didn't mention this, but he's also very much into sports and coaches mm -hmm. high school softball. And he and I are back and forth talking about coaching throughout the year, especially in the spring. So, uh, that'll be coming up here before you know it, Kip. It is actually, uh, we're talking with, uh, with some of the girls this week, you know, about, uh, fundraisers for some, some new equipment that we want to get, uh, outside of what the school can buy us, um, doing some, uh, some trainings, um, for, for younger girls, particularly, uh, our town ball teams, you know, the eight, U, the 10, U, and the 12 and under girls, letting our varsity girls spend some time with them and, uh, and help teach. So, uh, yeah, that's all I know. November's here and uh, and the rut is on our minds, but uh, as a, as a varsity softball coach, uh, it was some really dedicated girls. Uh, I'm I'm never all that far away from uh, from the ball field in my head. No, and everything's a year round sport anymore. We just finished the fall season for baseball, and I just last night got a link for hey, here's all the cool stuff you can buy for next spring. So, <laughs> like you said, the school doesn't buy anything anymore. It's all it's on on all of us to buy it all. But uh, anyway. Yeah, I just wanted to mention that as well. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about the rut. You know, we've got the doctor on here. He's he's the analytical rut guy. We ought to hook him up, Kip, with uh, uh, one of the fellows we met with that's really into the analytics, which we could have a whole other show about that. Uh, they, would, they would probably hit it off. But then it's interesting. You said being a, a biologist is also and a, and a hunter at the same time. It's, it's probably made you better at both. And we're going to talk about some of the things that are really kind of myths about the rut which like we were talking earlier about cold fronts, for example, we're just, especially if we're from the North, if, if you wake up and it's cold, you just automatically think it's going to be a good day to hunt. And it has really very little to do with it. So anyway, just those types of things. And so we're going to be talking rut and rut strategies. So, um, you know, Kip, sometimes what we think is hunters doesn't really match the science, right? I mean, that's, is that, maybe even more so the case that what we think as hunters is not actually backed by any science at all. It's true. And, you know, and I think some of that comes from uh, things that we believe that we see while we're afield or, you know, uh, we, we want to see such as, Hey, you know, maybe, you know, you think, gosh, you know what? I, I tend to see more deer before a storm or more deer after a storm. Uh, you know, we can have a really, really good hunt or a few good hunts and in our mind, we correlate that to some you know, weather pattern or whatever, you know, and then we start to think, uh, oh, man, you know, I need to hunt under these conditions all the time. And 
you know, that kind of gets passed down. Maybe, the, you know, your mom or your dad or your aunt or uncle, what they really like to hunt under, you hunted under that. But today, you know, with the use of GPS collars, particularly, you know, the amount of data that we can get on movement and, you know, those collars can be collecting temperature, you know, barometric pressure, all kinds of things. We just know so much more today about how deer move, when they move, you know, than, than ever before. So it allows us to really dig into, okay, what really goes on in the deer's world? Some of that's very close to, you know, what we think is hunters and Boy, we know as we know, uh, some of it is not close at all to what uh, some of the old wives' tales are. Well, speaking of old wives' tales, I'm going to hit you with this right out of the gate. What do you think is the most common strategy you hear hunters talk about that has zero support by science? The, the top one, there's a few, but... There are a few. Um, I think probably moon phase, or, or not even just phase, but the moon in general. Uh, many hunters believe that the moon is what drives the breeding timing, and, and that's not true at all. And science is very clear. Uh, some people believe that, you know, the moon drives feeding patterns. And man, if you're a fish, that is true. But if you're a deer, that's that's not true at all. You know, deer are crepuscular, which means they're most active at dawn and dusk. So the moon has almost no influence on feeding patterns. And just about every hunter in the world has heard, you know, that if it's a full moon, Deer will feed all night long, which means they're going to be bedded the whole next day. So the day after a full moon is a terrible day to hunt. And uh, I grew up hearing that. And gosh, it sounds logical. If you're up all night, you probably will want to sleep the next day. Um, but we know that's not true at all. And we have lots and lots of data to support that. So um, some people, you know, like want to, they think the deer move a little sooner under a certain moon phase, or if the moon is overhead or the moon is underfoot. Well, there's, you know, hunters want to grab on to just anything that gives them a little edge or advantage. And man, I totally get it. I'm, I'm the same way. And uh, so fortunately, we have some really good research today that can provide us with some of those edges. But we know very clearly uh, the moon is not one of those. So um, but and that is a hugely overblown myth by hunters, whether you're in the north, the south, uh, the east or west. Yeah, and this sure is the time of year you see all that stuff. You go on to social media and you see everybody talking about, you know, what the moon is, the cold fronts, all these things, and they're going to be moving. And and I wonder if sometimes, this is the psychologist in me coming out here, because you've been told that for so long and because you go out expecting a certain thing, when you see it, I think it reinforces those opinions as opposed to then being willing. People were always... When they see something that reinforces something they believe, they latch onto it. But on the contrary to that, when they aren't seeing that reinforcement, they're willing to let that go and forget about it and call it an outlier. Do you think there's some of that at play here? I think absolutely. And, and it's kind of like uh, fishing with your favorite fishing lure. When you have that tied on, you fish it a little bit harder. You know, you may fish <laughs> yeah. a little longer with it. So anyway, um, I think what you said is exactly right. And uh and what I tell people is, you know what, if you use the moon as a strategy and it's working for you, keep using it. You know, I'm not going to argue with success. Just understand that there is no science to support, you know, like what you believe is being there. Maybe, you know, it's kind of like fishing or, or uh, hunting. Maybe you have your, uh, you know, your favorite rock in your pocket or your pet rock or whatever the case is. If, if you believe in something, you tend to be a little more passionate about it and work harder with it. And, and there's a lot of good can result from that. Um, just recognize that, you know, the moon is not, you know, directing when deer start breeding. You know, the moon is not keeping deer awake or asleep or bedded during the day. You know, there's lots of other factors that will do that. 
Um, the moon's not one of them, but if it works for you, hey, I'm not going to argue with success or tell you to stop. Keep doing it. Just uh, realize that, you know, others probably aren't going to share the same success you have, you know, certainly not from any scientific end. I'm going to share a personal one with you here real quick, because this is what I was just thinking about the other day and, and see if there's any science to this. So um, I have found that as a as a front is approaching, especially in October when it still can be pretty warm and you got those warm air masses pushing because right behind it's a cold air mass, I have found that the hunting is typically not good right before that front gets here, but then dramatically improves as it pushes through. Any science to back that at all? Or is that just something anecdotal? Yeah, there, there's not a science behind that. And they've looked at a lot of that. You know, look at um, as that front's coming, they look at the pressure, you know, barometric pressure change there, uh, the temperature with that. There's, you know, look at all of these different environmental factors and, uh, and can't relate any of those to any, you know, significant changes in deer movement, either feeding patterns or movement patterns or whatever. Now, having said that, as a hunter, um, there is no doubt there are certain times that I've been hunting that for whatever reason, man, deer are just really moving way above average. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we think of that as, ooh, a storm is coming or a storm has just passed or there's a cold front. Um, even though science hasn't exactly told us, hey, what makes them, you know, some days just move a lot more than others. I firmly believe that there is some combination of those variables um, that maybe we just haven't figured out yet. We just haven't designed the right research project. You know, I firmly believe it's not just temperature or just moon phase or just pressure. Um, but, you know, it might be something It's a combination of those, you know, three days in advance of the storm or two days, you know, after the storm passes. Who knows? Um, we haven't found what it is yet. But I'll, I'll agree that there are certain days that are just way better than others. And uh, so I think there may be something there. Um, it's kind of one of the cool things about deer. You know, they're the most studied game animal we have, but there's still a lot that we don't know. So I think I think I like it that that still adds a little bit to the mystique of the animal. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Weigh in, doctor. I know you're, you got something on your mind. Well, the only thing that I would offer to that conversation is the fact that I have seen, and this is not scientifically based, this is individual observation only, is the fact that when those fronts come through and you have these massive wind shifts, deer will tend to try and move in bed to put the wind back in their favor. So we might be seeing more movement in that transitional time when that wind might not be steady state and they're trying to figure out the best place to keep themselves safe and monitor their surroundings. So that's something that I have personally seen. That's a good point. And you know what? I think there's something to regional variations in that as well. Uh, part of what just what deer are, are used to on a normal basis. For example, uh, where I hunt in, in North Dakota, um, the average day is way windier than it is here at home in Northern Pennsylvania. And um, the average deer movement there occurs during wind conditions that, man, if I'm at home, there's not going to be much movement. I mean, just not, I mean, you know, and this is from, you know, hundreds of days in the field myself, you know, and literally thousands or tens of thousands of observation hours of, uh, of all the folks that have hunted on our farm during the, the past 20 years. So, uh, but even in North Dakota, if uh, normal wind deer are moving, which may preclude deer from moving in other areas, you know, during a, a four or five day hunt, there's always one or two days where even there, the wind is above normal. 
and it will almost shut that movement down as well. So, um, you know, I think, you know, deer grow up under certain environmental conditions, then, uh, you know, they become used to those. So anything outside of that norm can tend to restrict movement more so, you know, than just a, a certain variable. So I think, uh, you know, as, as we know more about deer across the whitetails range today and, and hunters, regardless of where you are, get to learn more about deer and deer hunters in other regions. We often hear about research projects or studies and then try to apply that exactly to our situation. And I think in many cases we have to back up and say, okay, well, let's just make sure that we're talking about maybe the, you know, the same type of terrain or the same winter severity or the same wind patterns or, you know, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of studies that show movement patterns in relation to cover and the amount of cover in your area can be extremely different if you're in the southeastern U.S. or northeast or, or midwest or wherever. So a lot of times we just need to take a step back and make sure we're, we're trying to compare apples to apples as much as possible to be able to apply that to our, our uh, personal situations. Yeah, I got to tell you, my brother-in-law and sister were just in from Arizona and the cold weather here just shut them down. So <laughs> they wanted to be bundled up and staying in. And I don't, I don't blame them, to be honest with you. So one thing that we cannot deny and the science makes it very clear one thing that gets deer moving more than any time of the year is the rut and we are heading right into that as people are bringing this into their ears today uh, we are right at the early stages or getting closer to what you would call the peak rut now the rut is a very complicated thing it's not just you know this one week or whatever there's a lot of things that go into the rut but when we're talking about getting into that seeking phase, transitioning then into the, the, the chasing and breeding phases, that's where we're getting close to now. We're getting close to that. Uh, so we know that. We know that that makes deer move. And that is obviously why so many people love hunting the rut, because frankly, you can be a pretty lousy hunter and you stand a chance of seeing uh, the type of buck, maybe a buck, buck, bigger buck than you've ever seen before. But I want to start with this question. Uh, and this has changed in my mind. When I was younger, I loved hunting the rut because that's when the excitement was. I don't so much anymore. And so I want to ask both of you guys, do you prefer hunting that, the, what we'll call the rut, the chasing phase of the rut? Or would you rather hunt a deer uh, pre-rut or post-rut? Let's start with you, doctor, and then we'll go to Kip. I would rather hunt during the rut. And unfortunately, and there's a lot of people out there that are in the same boat that I am because my career has always been very demanding. I have not had a lot of availability as you know, you've heard Kip say other responsibilities of coaching. Um, you know, I've always been involved with other things where I cannot get out and I have, I can honestly say I have never patterned a buck from bed to feed, feed to bed, anything along those lines, but for some reason, and I've tried, but for some reason, being able to identify rut funnels and transition areas has come very easy to me. When I'm walking in the woods, even if I was grouse hunting with my dogs, I would stop and get this feeling and look around and it'd be a, a familiar either terrain feature, uh, cover density. Um, and sure enough, I found some of my best spots that way. So for some reason, identifying those locations comes very easy to me. And then as you well know, Nick, you know, once I find that location, then I have to find the tree and it might take one or two years of grooming. And so I've learned to put cameras out in these spots that I have that feeling or that I identify as being what I 
see as potentially a funnel. I'll let them soak for the entire rut and come back in and collect them. And then that gives me the data on locations that I would want to place more emphasis on at specific times during that very narrow window. And I've had a lot of success that way. So you are, Mike says, I am a rut hunter and it's primarily because of his schedule, which makes a ton of sense to me. Whenever I would take a week off of work, it was always first or second week in November. All right, Kip, how about you? I think if you have, if you have the opportunity, you know, to use trail cams or a bunch of scouting and you have a, a certain buck in mind, um, you have a far better chance of killing him early in the season uh, before all the hunting pressure and certainly before all the craziness of the rut. So, you know, if you're after a specific deer, um, early season is almost always a better time to get him. Um, I think early season is also, when I say early season, I'll say, you know, from the start of your archery season until you get into to, uh, the rut. And much of the country, that's, you know, this time of the year, so pre-Halloween. Um, often tend to see a, uh, more deer, or at least, uh, you know, more deer on a per hour basis, um, simply because, you know, they're more patternable. Um, so I love hunting earlier in the year. Um, having said all of that, if I could only hunt one or the other, I would pick the rut as well, just because of the potential for all the craziness that you get to see. But the thing is, and what people need to realize, is it's high risk, you know, and high reward. You can have some of the absolute best days of your life hunting during the rut if you're in the right spot and you can have some of the quietest days of the entire season by literally only being 200 yards off. So before the rut, it's the, I guess the playing field is a little more even and you, you know, you can use food sources, cover, et cetera, to your advantage to, to be a little more successful. Uh, once you get in the rut though, it's, it's almost an all or nothing thing. And uh, I've had enough of the all days to, that I'll pick the rut. If I can only have one time, but I've had some of my quietest sits of the entire year, year after year after year during the, you know, the supposed rut as well, because, uh, you know, so much of that activity gets localized to where, you know, does and estrus are or so if you're in an area that has real limited cover and say, you know, not all of the Midwest, too many people incorrectly just target the Midwest as all oh, it's so easy to go there and hunt. You know, it's all open fields and a few funnels. So everybody knows right where to put your stand. Now, it's very different than hunting in the Northeast or Southeast. There's no doubt. But not everybody who hunts the Midwest kills, a, you know, a booner every year by any means. However, if you have real limited cover, um, the number of days that you spend during the rut seeing little activity is going to be minimal you know, because those deer are obviously using it. But boy, if you get into anything like we have in the Northeast or a lot of the Southeast with a lot of cover, you can have some awfully quiet sits by, you know, not being all that far away from the circus of the rut. So, um, but having said that, it's it's just too much fun and you get to see too much things at that time of the year that you don't see any other time. So um, I'll take the whole season if I can get it. But if I can only have one, uh, I'd pick the rut as well. Yep. It's a tough call. I mean, I, the peak rut, I've just had too many instances where I could see a deer that just stayed right outside of my range with mm -hmm. a doe or went flying by me a hundred miles an hour after a doe, or I've had a lot of those sits, like you said, Kip, where you just sit there and see nothing. And so it's just too dynamic for me. Whereas of course, now that I'm saying this, Mike, you and I have been having a conversation about this mature buck I've been hunting on my place that, I mean, Kip, this deer just walks around out in this food plot. Like it's a, you know, Walmart parking lot and I can't get on him. So, uh, you know, he's, he's as patternable of an older deer as I've ever seen in my life. 
but for whatever reason, I haven't gotten close enough to him. Mm -hmm. I do have a new plan tonight. That's a, that's a whole other story. So we'll see. Mm -hmm. But as Mike and I were talking, once there's a hot doe that pops around my property, I may not see that deer again for two weeks. So yeah. I think that you got to get while the getting's good. And I think um, that's why I've, I've always preferred maybe that pre-rutter just as they're starting to seek. And also when I lived in the Midwest, when I lived in Ohio, I loved the post-rut. I mean, there were a lot of bucks would make it through in that state. That's the number one thing. You have to have them survive the season. And I found that to be a really good time to hunt as well. So, yeah, I guess it's to, to each his own on that one. Mm. All right related to the rut hunting the rut all day sits this is something that i used to do the doctor and i have sat in the same tree together all day in the past more than one occasion um kip i'll start with you is it worth it starting in november if you have an all day to be out in the woods would you sit in one stand all day is it worth it that, that's how i grew up hunting um and uh my father was very adamant that hey if you sit in your stand all day long during buck season you're going to kill a buck of course this is back you know when it was basically just yielding bucks but um and he was absolutely right because at some point a deer was going to come by they were getting pushed from one hill to the next and all over um so i have done a lot of all day sits in my life and as much as i love hunting and this is excited as i would be by even back then um man they're tough you know it's 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 brutal i have not done an all-day sit in a number of years um partly because I had been mentoring my kids the last several years and had very few days that I actually hunted by myself. Didn't have one of them or one of my nephews or somebody else that I was mentoring with me. And, uh, and I certainly would not do an all day sit with somebody like that just because it's, it is so tough. Um, so for me, um, I don't enjoy all day. It's hobby the first, uh, you know, to, to say that anymore, partly because, uh, it is very, uh, mentally and physically demanding to do that doesn't matter if you know how comfortable my tree stand is or my ground line that that's a long time to sit there and partly because uh, there are so many more hunters today that, that rather than push deer or drive deer or still hunt you know they get in the woods and, and try to disappear as well so if you look at a lot of movement data and actually there's some really cool data out of Penn State that shows us you know deer and older bucks and particularly older does they're really good at just getting in around where they're not being pressured and if there's any pressure in the area to just you know relax and just kind of hang out and not move a lot so um i think it is to our disadvantage in many cases now to sit all day long without moving so um i don't do that anymore you know i try to put myself in really good spots i don't always just hunt that morning skip the midday and hunt the evening. I think there's a lot of value to hunting the midday, um, but I think there is definitely opportunity to hunt a stand, you know, through the morning hours and then still hunt for a bit. And by that, I mean, moving very, very slowly and actually hunting, you know, the way that people used to hunt, you know, rather than just sitting and waiting. So I think there's a lot of advantage of doing that and trying to catch some of these deer that are bedded, um, during some other hours and then, you know, maybe taking up a stand for that evening. So um, I know people that sit all day and are successful at it and man, good for them. Um, I'm not one of those hunters anymore. I, I have too much fun doing some exploring, you know, in a very safe, low pressure way during the season than, uh, than to just sitting there. Yep. I think my answer pretty much echoes yours. I have done it before. I can't tell you, I don't think I've ever killed a mature buck 
in the middle of the day. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I've even seen any in the middle of the day. I think the latest I ever killed one was maybe 10:30 in the morning or something like that. Um, and so what I've done more recently is I'll, if I'm going to stay out all day, I'll hunt a stand. I'm going to hunt later into the morning, later than I normally would, and then get into my evening stand, which would be a different spot earlier than I normally would. And at least you get that little bit of break in between. Like you said, you might Mm -hmm. be able to still hunt or whatnot. All right, doctor, your turn. All right. So I think you both, you made great points. Kip, you know, talking about earlier being just 200 yards off from action, is, is a good thing. And I don't sit all day anymore unless it's, it's a really, you know, deep woods hunt where I'm back in, you know, over an hour's walk. Uh, obviously you're not coming out from that, but uh, to Kip's point, if I'm back in that far and I don't like my morning sit, it just was not what I expected it to be. Am I going to pack up and get down and then still hunt my way through, a, you know, because technically over the next ridge in the next bottom, it might be absolutely going bonkers over there. And so for me, yeah, I will not sit all day anymore. And especially if I'm like close to the truck or I can easily get in and out with easy access and not alert a lot of deer, then I will change it up for the evening. But if I'm back in and like some of those, you know, bigger properties, tens of thousands plus of acres, and I'm, I'm back in, I commit for an all day hunt. If I'm seeing activity, I will muscle through and try and get, you know, get through the day because the opportunity seems to be a potential. But if it's, you know, if I'm just sitting there staring at nothing and counting squirrels possibly, then getting down and slowly moving and getting ready to reset up in a new location is definitely an option. I think it's a good point. An all day hunt can be different than an all day sit. And and I will spend all day in the woods, you know, not come out going before daylight and not come out until after dark, but, but not sitting in the same spot for that whole time. I will absolutely do a little bit of, you know, recon, a little bit of scouting and then end up in a different spot. And any part of it, just from the mental end, I will find myself, I am so much sharper on stand after I have moved a little bit or, you know, and be that much more excited about the next setup rather than, you know, sitting in that same spot. So I think there's a lot to be said for just being more alert being more on, on key like that, you know, because of, and maybe you don't have to move very far at all, but just a little different surroundings, um, maybe just getting the blood flowing a little bit, you know, through the legs walking, I, I think can help you tremendously, um, you know, spotting just the flick of a tail or the twitch of an ear at a distance rather than, you know, being bored sitting in the stand and missing those because you're not as alert as you should be. Or finding new sign. I mean, you could come up on, you know, a fresh scrape, you could come up on, you know, something that just really gets you excited. And as you said, being mentally sharp on those all day hunts, we'll not call it an all day sit is really, really important. And just finding something new or different, or the grass is always greener looking over that next Ridge. All of a sudden it's just, it's, it's almost like a new hunt. And so you're ready right back in. It kind of pushes that reset button for you. Yeah. Nope. I agree. And I have a good friend who's very successful this time of year that will not sit until he bumps a deer so he will still hunt uh until he sees a doe try to sneak to her if he can make it all the way there great if not even if he bumps her he will hurriedly get to right to the trail she was on and then set up there and uh because you know the deer moving bucks are chasing or following those does and throughout his career he has been extremely successful killing uh lots of bucks and lots of mature bucks 
with that strategy. And I know of times he's even seen one from a stand, got down and relocated, you know, 100 yards or whatever, even though he knows he's spooking the deer in the process, just to be where she was when that next buck comes down that trail. I haven't taken quite that tact, um, but uh, I think it is valuable. And he had a lot of fun and he was very successful with it. So, um, so always had, had a good time in the woods. So, you know, there was value in that alone. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of ways to do it and not just the typical scenario you see on television mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, related to, this isn't an all day sit, but it's kind of similar. How about the person that says, you know what? I have my rut stand every year and I'm going to go come hell or high water and I'm going to sit there until I see a deer, kill a deer. Mm -hmm. Camping out, basically. Camping out in that one favorite stand. Kip, it's your turn first this time. I I can understand that, um, partly because, you know, I grew up in a traditional Pennsylvania hunting camp and, you know, my spot, and that's where you always went on opening day. And so uh, I can get the allure of going to that spot. And uh, sometimes that spot is really, really good, you know, from a, you know, a, a, a rut perspective, it's just in a good travel area and it can be successful for a long time. And, uh, and if that's the case, it just kind of makes it even more special because it is good and you have that history with it. Um, if the area is not all that good, but it makes you happy to just go and spend time in that spot, um, man, I think there's value in that as well. We have, we have a big rock on our farm that overlooks part of a mountain and I make it a point, you know, every year to get there at least once it, it's about as far away from our camp as you can get, but I always get there if for no other reason than to just sit on that and just look, you know, for a few minutes and think about, you know, all the, the guys at camp and, you know, my father and others. So, um, I've never shot a deer off that rock, but I have a lot of fun making it to that every year. So I get it that people have that spot they want to go to, uh, you know, from a, a deer harvest end though, I tell folks, uh, you know, it's probably not always the best, you know, you certainly can enhance habitat around that area to try to make it better. And if you have fun going there, absolutely go, but don't limit it yourself to that spot. Make sure that you're hitting some other spots too. Yeah. I think there's something to, to, to be said for, there, well, let's put it this way. There's a difference between camping out mm. all October in the same spot, mm. as opposed to setting up in the same spot in the rut where deer are going to use a particular corridor. And I think I'm serving one up here to the doctor. Who's going to maybe elaborate on that. Well, I, I think, thank you, first of all, but what I will say is that that is a thing and it is something that I have seen for years and I have a lot of camera data to prove that uh, in specific spots, you will see an increased likelihood of buck travel through a specific corridor at a certain time during the month of like late October into November. But will I camp out in that one spot from October 24th to November 17th? No, because Nick, as you well know, I mean, there's like, I talk about my place my, if, if I'm going to be hunting on my place in up in New York here, it's three days, it's November seven, eight, nine, because that is when every year I have multiple bucks of the age class that I'm willing to get excited about on this place in different locations, but all of those locations pass by two specific stands. And then it comes down mm -hmm. to the win for me, which one of those two that I can hunt. And after those three days, it's like a light switch. It gets dead. And so I have to be ready to move on to, as you know, the farm that you and I hunt, Nick, I mean, I'm starting to get those dates dialed in. So I'm going to have to be there for certain days mm -hmm. and I'm just chasing opportunity 
based on what I suspect is doe family groups coming in to their breeding or willing to accept bucks to breed at a specific time frame. And it, I'm like a little gypsy following around these mm -hmm. from stats that I've had in the past from trail cameras and observation sits as well. All right. I like it. All right. Now we're going to answer a couple of these. This is an Ask NDA Anything episode, by the way. And so instead of the doctor and I just answering these on our own, I thought we would bring these two into the middle of the show and answer them because they were both rut related. And the first mm -hmm. one is, uh, do you use calls or decoys and when is the best time of the year to use them? Uh, so that's from one of our listeners. I uh, wanted to know the answer to that. So Mike, why don't you take this one first? Oh God, I'm sorry, everybody. This is going to be a bit. Um, so do I use calls and decoys? Yes. And it's very specific. Uh, I'll try and move through this because I, we have so much talent here that I want to make sure everyone gets a chance to say something. But um, for me, I never use decoys if there's a lot of dough in the area, whether it be buck and or doe decoys. Those tend to be a little bit more social where they'll come up and maybe investigate. And if they don't like a decoy that's not moving, that's going to be issues. So um, I'm not a fan of propping them out in an area that has a lot of dough. So let's um, narrow it down to time frame for me, decoys, October 25th to probably November 10th. That's the only window that I use them. And it will vary buck or doe based on the situation that I'm hunting. In regards to calls, I don't use a lot of calls. Like I don't rattle anymore, even though I've had success with it in the past, but, and I, and I'm going to probably punch myself in the face for saying this, but you know, I, the whole point is I, I want to share with everybody what I know. So basically in regards to calling, I only do one call and that's when I see a buck, um, that's cruising, I'm trying to get his attention. I will do what I heard a buck do years ago when I was out in Illinois and he was cornering this doe trying to get her to um, breed. And so I, I reiterate, or I just reproduce this scenario. She was blowing at him, you know, so she would actually snort or blow whatever the terminology you want to use is. And he would, when he finally would pin her down, he would do this long clicky grunt where it was just, and if I can do it, and I hope the sound comes through, I don't know if my voice won't up, but it's just like, he would look at her and just stare at her and he would go. <laughs> then he would like roll it into a, a grunt and then start chasing her again. I'm convinced Kip, by the way, like if I'm a buck, I'm, that's a tending grunt. Mm. I'm coming. Mm. That, that's and, good. Mike. <laughs> and so, so basically I will carry Woodwise made this old snort wheeze. It's like, you know, a couple pieces of plastic in between you know, like the reason between plastic, I'll blow on that a couple times. And then I will do that tending grunt, roll it into a grunt. And then, um, I will have to tell you consistently, I am probably better than 95% success with when I run that scenario on a cruising buck, they will be within bow range. So Mike is a decoy user and a call user, but it has to be the right time. By the way, that question's from Tim from the state of Indiana. He's only 16 and he says he got a buck decoy for his birthday and he wanted to know when he wants to use it. Mm -hmm. So thank okay. you for that question, Tim. Okay, Kip, your turn. I do. I use them both as well. And um, I don't use decoys a lot, um, but we do use them every year um, during the later part of our bow season. So starting uh, just before Halloween, then we'll use them until our bow season goes out and here in Pennsylvania in, in uh, mid-November. Um, we hear, use, I like using a doe decoy 
um, particularly to bring deer in from from a ways away or to really position them for a bow shot. Um, some of the other guys at our camp use buck decoys as well, and we've killed some really nice bucks over the years with those. Um, I think you certainly can overuse them, but uh, we use them a few times every year and have had an absolute blast with them. Um, partly, you know, you can see some really cool uh, behavioral uh, things with, with deer, how different deer react to them. Um, certainly can help get one, you know, a deer in within bow range. Um, actually, last year, uh, my son, Bo, this is early November, November 1st or 2nd. Um, we were hunting a, a early successional vegetation field, saw a buck about 200 yards away. Bo grunted at him, but the point Bo was 12. Uh, the deer heard us. We had a decoy set up. Um, the deer worked his way through this field and it was in vegetation we couldn't see. Uh, about 20 minutes later, he pops out within 15 yards mm. and, uh, and Bo shot him. So uh, very fun story for us. Um, certainly Bo's first deer he's or decoyed deer but uh you know he got all the way there this bug there was a two-year-old eight point uh and realized when he was within about 10 yards of us all of a sudden like ooh, you know like right there she is then he got nervous that you know he wasn't the biggest buck around but uh he was certainly big enough for uh for my 12 year old son to shoot and uh so anyway just seeing things like that, you know, would that deer have showed up if we would have only grunted? Maybe, maybe not. You know, we've caught a lot of deer in that way. So, um, so my short answer is yes. We use decoys um, during you know, late October and mid through mid-November. Not every day, but there are definite situations where you can have tons of fun with them. Um, as far as calling, yep, we rattle a little bit. We all, we never go to the woods without a grunt tube or if we don't have it, you know, we will grunt with our mouths. Um, and always have a, a, a bleak can. Um, for whatever reason, I've heard a lot of fawns make that noise. You know, on the can, it says doe and estrus bleak. Um, I've never heard a doe make that exact noise, <laughs> but man, it, it has just worked too many times for me and other hunters, you know, to doubt it. So deer are very, very uh, social, a lot more social than many hunters realize. So there's all kinds of calls they're doing. So, uh, um, so we use them partly because it, sometimes they work and partly because it's just fun to interact with deer. So great, great thing, you know, for kids or new hunters to, to be able to use. So we always have calls with us and we will use them from day one all the way to the end of the season, you know, but depending on, uh, you know, what we feel is right now, we're not rattling all that time, but I will, I will grunt at any point like a buck and we'll use that bleak can at any point too. So I think you have lots of flexibility with that. Yeah, I wish I was more aggressive sometimes because I've had a lot of fun with decoys in the past. I've certainly called deer in with the grunt call, but I didn't even take a grunt call until to, uh, today was the first time I took one and actually blew on it a couple of times. But typically I'm probably not as aggressive as I should be. I'm always worried I'm spooking deer, um, but that's my part for that one. Uh, the other Ask NDA Anything question was, and I'll go first on this one. This is Alan from Rhode Island. He wants to know what he says, what are your go-to snacks for all day sits during the rut? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is a critical question uh, so that you certainly can keep alert. We're just like kids, right? If the way to keep a young kid happy is you bring lots of snacks and it's the same thing for guys that want to sit in the woods a long time. Now I had said, I don't do all day sits anymore, but when I did for me, I always packed a couple of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches mm -hmm. And if I was going to do an all day sit tomorrow, I would pack peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So Mike, what's yours? Oh my. So, uh, for me, it's, I have to have Snyder's butter snaps. 
they're a pretzel, a little square pretzel wafer. Uh, that's, uh, I have to have that. I will always have a couple granola bars, probably two, um, either a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, as you said, but, um, just for me being weird, it has to be apple jelly. Um, just because I think it's, I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to cover up the, the smell of peanut butter, which is never going to happen with apple, which, you know, like that's just, but that's just more superstitious parts of me. And then, um, the little Debbie, what are they called? Cosmic brownies, because they're the only like sweet snack that doesn't get crushed in my bag and turn into like crumbs, <laughs> like, like trying to pull out a ho-ho and like, you're getting like, just like a couple crumbs and like the chocolate. Uh, but, um, and then lastly, I'll have water with me, you know, for a drink, but, and I have Mountain Dew as my, as my, um, caffeine. So you're, mm-hmm. Mike's taking a smorgasbord up there with him. Oh, heck yeah. He needs heck a separate yeah. pack just for his food. That's how about right. you, Kip? What, how are you? That's why it takes him an hour to get into the woods. He's not going to all that <laughs> I far. I take it he's off. Just, it's too much. an 80 pound. Yeah. Um, I, I like the, the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm a huge peanut butter and jelly sandwich fan. For me, it's always strawberry jelly, though. Um, my wife makes homemade strawberry jelly, so I, I don't eat grape. I don't eat apple jelly. No, just strawberry jelly. Um, I actually have a great picture of me and a good friend of mine on a mountain in, in Colorado a few years ago uh, uh, beside a, a nice bull elk sitting there on this log. Antlers behind us, enjoying the day, eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And of all the pictures from that trip, that is, that is my favorite, you know, because, uh, you know, we had done a bunch of work. You were celebrating something with a friend. And uh, that. so I always have peanut butter and jelly like that. Um, I used to be a Pop-Tart guy. Like I mm. never went hunting without Pop-Tarts. Um, I guess I just crumbled enough of them up and realized that, you know, as I get older, I should probably eat a little healthier than the Pop-Tarts. <laughs> so I'm a peanut butter and jelly guy. And I always have granola bars uh, with me as well. They're nice and quiet, you know something uh, that you can pop in and eat. So um, that's, that's what's in my pack. And of course, water, I never go anywhere. Even if I'm going to go hunt for an hour, I have a bottle of water with me. So always some water with me as well. Yep. Good advice. And folks repack your food, by the way, if you like a particular kind of snack that comes in a really loud package, just put those in a little Ziploc baggie or something like that, uh, which is something I've always done to try to quiet down uh, those types of things. So, uh, all right. So that's, that's what we're taking to the woods to eat. Just a couple more things here, and we'll call it good. Kip, we attacked a couple of the common myths. They were actually just about deer hunting in general, and not necessarily just about the rut. But this one's rut-related. I want to ask you about two more that we didn't talk about. I want to ask you about cold fronts, and I want to ask you about deer bucks being territorial. And I hear this all the time. Let's start with that one. Uh, You know, I found these rubs, and that buck is marking his territory. Mm. All right, now break everybody's hearts and tell them about deer and territoriality yeah bucks aren't territorial at all at any point of the year uh does are when they're having their fawns does will become extremely territorial uh but bucks aren't and so you know the whole idea of a a rub line or a scrape line where that buck you know marks this and protects it um he is absolutely marking it and he's marking it to share his information and he's also collecting information from others that have been there because you find any buck rub or any scrape and put a camera on it. And you'll find that in most cases, there are multiple bucks rubbing that rub, leaving information at that scrape. So uh, yeah, but bucks aren't territorial. You know, they're not going to protect an area, which makes sense because, you know, does are moving all over and does aren't coming into any certain area to find a buck. So there, there's no value 
to a buck, you know, protecting an area. So he is free to roam and move. Um, and he is leaving his scent in those areas. And he's checking to see who else has been there, what other bucks have been and what other does. So, uh, you know, he is free to move to go where he needs to, you know, to find those does. So bucks are not territorial at all. However, both rubs and scrapes are great places to uh, hang trail cameras, you know, to get an idea of all the deer in the area. Um, it's like, you know, a community bulletin board there. That's where, you know, you go to see like who has what for sale and whose business card is hanging up. And at least I guess online digital bulletin boards now, but, uh, you know, that's deer use those rubs and scrapes as places to, to communicate and share information. So great places to kind of get an idea of who's in the area. So yeah, bucks aren't territorial. They're not guarding those, but super places to get an idea of what deer might be on the property you're hunting. And people shouldn't get confused. I mean, they're going to say, someone's going to say, well, I've seen bucks fight. What are they mm -hmm. fighting over? Well, they're not fighting over territory. They're fighting over probably the right to breed a doe that's in the area. And so that's, that's the difference between a fight and being territorial. Those are different things. All right, cold fronts. Our friend Lindsey Thomas darn near broke the internet whenever he wrote an article saying, cold fronts don't matter, get over it. And people didn't get over it. They got mad and they're still <laughs> mad. <laughs> What's the science tell us about cold fronts and deer movement, Kip? Yeah, the science is very, very clear on this one in that, you know, uh, these cold fronts aren't necessarily making deer move more. You know, we have daily movement patterns of deer all over the United States today from these GPS radio collar studies. If we can then look at that movement on how did that compare, you know, what was the temperature during these movement days? What was moon phase, et cetera? So from these, we realize that, yeah, these cold fronts aren't necessarily making deer move at a much greater you know, level than they were before that. And from a hunting end, I think the better part is conversely, you know, when it's not cold, it's not like all these deer are bedded, you know, waiting for a cold front. They have to move every single day. They have to move to feed. They have to move, you know, to avoid predators. So they're going to move. And so we know, you know, through the course of uh, we're at the end of October now, but as you lead up to Halloween, you know, that daily movement tends to increase a little bit. You know, as we go through that, which is they're getting ready for the rut, you know, they're moving a little more, you know, whether it's cold or not. So I tell people is, man, if you have a chance to go hunting, you know, particularly this time of the year, um, it doesn't matter if it's 20 degrees, 40 degrees or 60 degrees, go hunting, you know, deer are going to be moving. And actually, I got a picture a couple of nights ago of a, of a nice buck on our farm. Uh, it's actually a 12 point, uh, this mainframe 10 and both G2s have a kicker that comes off and that's two or three inches long. So uh, everybody that's hunts on our camp, you know, wants this particular deer. So very unique deer. Um, we have numerous pictures in one spot on our farm day after day. We're, we're getting them. Well, the other night I got a picture of him almost a thousand yards from where we had. And, the, you know, I look on my, my uh, picture and it, it's 50 degrees late October in Northern Pennsylvania. 50 degrees is a warm front. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is extremely warm, way above normal. And here this deer is a thousand yards away. It's just after dark. So um, he clearly was on his feet during daylight moving to hit there after dark. So it just made me laugh to think, you know, if that said 30 degrees or 20 degrees, we'd say, oh, man, it's a cold front. And he's moving. You know, the reality of it is it's late October. He's moving. Right. So even if it's warm, go hunting. You know, it's not like these cold fronts all of a sudden get all the deer on their feet. They get more hunters on their feet for sure. 
because I get it. It's fun to hunt, you know, when it's cold. I, I like that too. But uh, even if it's not cold, man, deer are moving every single day. So if you can go hunting, go hunting. Yeah, absolutely. The buck I was talking about earlier, I got pictures of him the other day. It was 72 degrees and he was walking mm -hmm. around like it didn't matter. And it, and it didn't matter. <laughs> One of the best bucks I ever shot was in Kentucky on opening weekend. And it was almost 90 degrees that day. Mm -hmm. And that deer was moving. So, yeah, like you said, I like what you said there. They don't just sit there and wait for a cold front. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they have to move. So mm -hmm. I love it. Well, Kip, we appreciate you being on. We covered a lot of ground here, man. There's a lot more ground to cover too, but I think we've given people at least some information to consider as they head to the woods here. Uh, folks, you can find Kip on Instagram. He's very active there. It's Kip Adams underscore NDA. And uh, you'll see everything he's got going on there, which is a lot. And you can also email him at kip at deerassociation.com. And if you're mad about cold fronts, that's who, actually email Lindsay, lindsay at deerassociation.com <laughs> if you're mad about cold, cold fronts. But uh, Kip, thank you so much for taking the time and being on today. And hey, good luck out there. I know you got some hunting planned. All right. Very good. Great to see you guys as always. And uh, yeah, good luck to both of you this season as well. For a lot of hunters, the rut is really the most wonderful time of the year. I think that certainly goes for you as well, Mike. Um, just your thoughts. And we, we talked about a lot of things there. Well, and we did, and there's some good information there. And this might be one that you have to go back and listen to a couple times. But the one thing that we really didn't cover, Kip kind of touched on it, but it also means a lot to me is not only is this a great time to deer hunt, but it's also a great time to share a camp or share a tailgate or share a tree stand, as you said. So um, definitely get out there with somebody, whether they are you know, a, a hunting buddy from years past or someone you hunt with every year or somebody new, but uh, just get out there and share it with them would be great as well. We didn't mention too much of that, but it's something that, you know, I means both a lot to you and I as well. Yeah, it does. And I can tell you too, the rut's just a wonderful time to be out there. You never know what you're going to see. And many times I've already filled tags, filled my buck tag and would still go out and sit during the rut just to see just to observe, just to see what's going on out there. It's just an exciting time, especially for someone that likes to film hunts like I do. It just presents a lot of opportunities. So it's just a fun time to be in the woods. All right, Mike, let's not torture people this time like I like to do. Let's let's give them the B team report. Uh, this There's always something, right? And so we'll give the B team report and then we'll give the hunting report. After that, we'll let people know what we're up to. So here it is, folks. The rut edition of the B team report. All right, Mike, I'm going to go first this time. And this one isn't hunting related. And so um, I haven't been hunting a whole lot, uh, as, as you would know, Mike, and others may be aware. My mother passed away. Uh, just a few days ago. And so we have, and she had been ill for a long time, many years, and the things had kind of crescendoed over the last 10 days. And so obviously spending a lot of time with her and family uh, and all of that. And so uh, ironically, and my mother would laugh at this, by the way, which is why I chose this for my B team report, because she was never, my mother's a very honest person. And she would, uh, when I, I actually, I had the honor of giving her eulogy yesterday. And one of the things I said about her was that um, you might not have always liked what she said, but it was always the honest truth, what she would say. And so sometimes the truth hurts and she would give you the truth. And so she would always talk about 
you know, that, that I was cl- you know, clumsy, which I am, <laughs> sort of a klutz. And so th- it was just so fitting yesterday, Mike, you'll love this. So there's a lot of pressure to give a eulogy, right? Sure. You got to have your facts straight. Number one, you're in front of a whole bunch of people. Luckily, as a profession, I do public speaking, speaking an awful lot. So that's not a problem. That's easy. But you also have to have, you want it to be comedic if you can, you know, to put people at ease. Obviously, the people are there mourning, but you also, you can be lighthearted, but then you have to be serious to an extent. There's an important balance there. And so, and then it's my mom. So I'm up there talking about my mom and trying to do her proud. And so I'm so focused on that. And I give the, I give the talk. I probably went a couple minutes longer than the, than the priest would have liked, but it was, uh, but it was good. And so I'm walking down and there are all these people and they're just looking right at me. Right. I'm walking down off the altar and I totally miss that there's a last step <laughs> before you get down to the floor. <laughs> and so in front of all of these people, my mother's uh, friends and family and people that came uh, to the, to the funeral mass, I almost did a complete face plant right in front of them, but it was still enough that everybody saw it. And I just thought, you know, mother, that was like your last, uh, last sort of practical joke on me there. You made sure that I stumbled off the stage after giving your eulogy. So that's my, that's my B team report, Mike. And um, I, I have to say, I wore it proudly. I just smiled and shook my head and said, well, there you have it. You were always right. That's your mom saying, I told you so. Exactly. I think you're right. I think you're right. So, and the one thing, and I'm sorry that I couldn't be there, but um, the one thing I will say about your mom is she was always awesome to me. I mean, if, you, if you've never ne- met Nick's mom, you're never going to leave that house hungry. I mean, anytime we, I could have, <laughs> I could have showed up at like seven in the morning, just ate breakfast. She was looking at me. Did you eat? Yes. Well, hold on. Let me see what I can find. Next thing you know, there's like a whole spread right out in front of us. I mean, she would, she would throw food. Like it was going out of style. It was awesome. But, um, well, yeah. she also then she would do that, but then she would be like, you look like you're gaining some weight. I'm That's like, well, okay. no kidding with gaining she, some weight because she's you're just being honest. You're just, <laughs> you're stuffing me to death here and you're telling me I'm gaining weight. But anyway, yes. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. So, um, again, I'm going to keep with the theme of not being hunting really, cause I haven't been hunting much. I've been busy trying to get my life in order up here and I've been working on the, the barn at, uh, at our camp. And so I'm putting up new siding. Um, and I was up on a ladder and what I didn't realize is that when they were putting on the decking for the roof, there's a couple spots where they missed the two by fours and they're actually limiting me to actually snug up the siding the way that I want. So I'm up on a ladder, 20 feet up in the air with an angle grinder grinding off these nails so that I can set the siding without having to take the roof apart and remove the nails. So I'm like, quick fix. This is what I'm going to do. That angle grinder, if people have all, you know, for people have that have used them, realize that if you put the juice to a nail, that thing's going to get orange hot pretty quickly. And then it breaks loose. Well, I had a performance fabric shirt on and I had a nail give way, bounced off the shed, landed on my right shoulder, just above my collarbone, like in that divot or that pocket, it melted my shirt, caught it on fire. (laughs) And I'm holding the angle grinder, trying to hold onto the ladder and shinny down as fast as I can while my shirt's on fire. I have a second degree burn to my my gosh. Oh man. Um, that is, that's as B team as you're going to get. But, um, 
I'm making progress with the barn. I'm almost done with it for the season. And so I finally get to hunt. So I'm excited. I've found that I, at my age, you know, that I can't do a single project anymore without getting some type of injury. And that, those burns, by the way, because those are the ones that you feel it starting, but by the time you realize what it is, it's already too late. Like you said, it's already going through your shirt and into your skin. Yeah, you have to at that point, And I pride myself in being mentally tough and strong. And um, I'm sitting there, okay, down the ladder you go, take your time. Because like what I, what I would not want to do is start swinging around and winding up falling. I'm like, I have to get to the ground. I, did I just kind of jump the last three steps? Heck yeah, I did. But, um, you know, that was, that was a rather unpleasant moment. And I'm sure that my neighbor who just sits out in his porch and watches me work for, you know, his entertainment, um, that was probably the highlight of his, his whole day week, as long as I, you know, well, actually I've been working on this for like three weeks going on a month now. So that's probably the highlight of his, his show, the, the Mike B team moment. Well, let's, let's look at it this way. It could have been a lot worse and it could have got you in the eye or something like that. So let's be thankful that it was just a shoulder. So there you have it, folks. That's this episode's version of the B team report. Expect a lot more, by the way, as we, we doing more hunting here in the coming weeks. So anyway, uh, always something. Speaking of the hunting report, uh, I'll go first, Mike, quickly. Like I said, I haven't hunted as much as I normally might have, but I did get out some, um, I've been playing, as you've heard in the interview, playing cat and mouse with this nice buck on my place that uh, he's just so visible. And I just, I have tons and tons of pictures of him. I've seen him a bunch of times. And it's just about getting into bow range. And so hopefully I got a plan for that tonight. So I've been battling with him. Uh, and then uh, I did make a quick trip to Delaware for a few days, went out and hunted with my, my good friend Ron out there and uh, Ron Haw's friend of the show. And I did, I had a, it was a slow start, but I did have a nice buck making his way into me. Uh, I would just say on the doorstep, but he did not, as they typically do, he just sort of veered off at the last second and didn't come into range. And so that was the first time I'd say that I really sort of had my heart pounding where I thought it was going to happen and it didn't. Uh, and then I'm going to be heading to Kentucky. Uh, actually, as you're listening to this, I'll already be in Kentucky for a hunt that we raffled off at the NDA uh, with me and, and uh, Hank Forster, I uh, will be in camp there uh, hunting with uh, two groups of folks that, that purchased that hunt on an auction earlier this year. And that's always a ton of fun. We'll be there with the First Light crew. Uh, they're going to bring some uh, First Light clothing for our, our hunters to try out. And uh, they'll be filming their portion of the hunt. So it's going to be a good time. And I'm sure by the next time we do a show, uh, maybe as soon as tonight, I'll have new material for the show to talk about if I can get close to that that mature buck. So that's where I'm at, Mike. How about you? Um, I've only been out three times, even though it is almost Halloween. But uh, as I said before, I've been busy uh, getting ready for winter. But um, on my third sit, I was able to tag a doe up here in New York, which I was very proud of. I mean, you know the back and forth story. It was a doe that I had targeted um, because she had a white streak up her nose, but she was also ridiculously smart. She wasn't living on me. She was coming from across the road. And, um, I figured that it would be a nice deer to, to be able to take because even on my cameras, I mean, I hang my cameras eight, 10, 12 feet up in the air. There's not a camera that she doesn't walk by. She sees them. I mean, I have so many pictures of her looking up at the mm -hmm. cameras. She was just a smart deer. And so, um, I hunted her three times and I, on the third time I said I'd had, I got real aggressive with her. And as we talked about when we had Jason red on, 
I went on the ground and it was the first deer that I had shot off the ground uh, in my life. And so I was really, it was a kind of a special thing that um, I went after her and with all the, like we talked about with Jason, like all the things that I wish I would have known when I was younger on, on having success and how to be more aggressive when it was time, because I was always very tentative. Uh, I always would play it safe and that didn't really play out as successfully as I would have hoped over these years. So I'm like, this is uh, the only other choice is getting after when I need to. And so I did. And, um, come to find out that white streak up her nose actually came from a scar. She had a scar that ran the length of that off to the side. And then there was no hair. It was just down to the leather. And, uh, on the other side, it was, um, a bunch of white hairs that came out as, um, almost look like, you know, like I said, would like, look like a horse's, uh, nose. Yeah, that was cool following along with that because you're sort of texting me while you're out there. And sometimes, and I'm experiencing this with this buck right now, and it's part of the reason I'm getting aggressive tonight when I go in after that deer. And, and I'll be on the ground as well because sometimes when they're in the wide open like that and you see them and it just seems like, oh, I, I've got a consistent read on them. It's really hard to get close, isn't it, to get into bow range in a situation like that? Well, she worked me over. I mean, I actually had, I thought I had her dialed in every time I hunted her and she would pick a different trail that really, really, what it did like the first two hunts, let me know how much she relies on that wind. She would never give up that wind. Uh, and that was one thing that she taught me with those first two sits on her in a tree stand. And so when I went in the ground and I, I purposefully found a spot where the terrain would let her think that she had the wind, but I would be able to cut it a little bit and darn it. If she still didn't get a little something, the way that it rolled over this knob, but not enough to make her blow out. She blew it. She blew, but she didn't know where I was at. And luckily, you know, her fawns and her, um, fawn from last year were still standing still and not wanting to move because I don't think she knew where I was at because where she caught the wind from. And, uh, as she was starting to walk and quarter away, it was a very slow walk, stop, stand, look. I finally was able to raise up over the the tree trunk that I was behind and, and take that shot. And, um, she didn't go, she only, you know, she was down within a matter of a couple seconds and only went like 45 yards or so. So, um, yeah, really, really excited, really happy. And, um, I have some meat in the freezer. Oh, there you have it. Yep. You got to be willing to change tactics. You did that. And uh, you accomplished the first, took a deer from the ground, which is awesome. Maybe I hope I can follow you up with that here this evening. Hey, I forgot to give, uh, by the way, I forgot to give a hat away for our Ask NDA Anything question. So I'm going to do this. Uh, the the hat is going to go to Alan for the question about what is your go-to snack on the stand? Uh, because that's a heck of a good question. It's critically important. <laughs> so, uh, and, and a fun question, but, uh, I also want to mention though, we, the one question, uh, was from the young man in Indiana about decoys. I would encourage you to dig back into our archives. There was a, a show that the doctor and I did with, uh, with, uh, CJ Davis, a Montana decoy, all about decoys. And it's a great show. So dig back into the archives and you'll learn everything you need to know. And hopefully the decoy you got is a Montana decoy help our man CJ out. So we're going to call it a show with that folks. Uh, we want to thank you as always for listening. Hey, uh, I want to remind you, give us a rating wherever you listen to the show that helps us grow. Also gives us some ideas, send us your questions, your photos and your stories, and maybe we'll even get you on the show. We're always looking for new material, new ideas. So 
be, be thinking about that as you're hopefully punching some tags here this fall. Uh, I hope you get some time in the woods. Be safe. Savor every moment. And most importantly, hug your loved ones because you never know how long you'll have them. Folks, National Deer Association, where we are, united for deer. <laughs>